1: First, electric vehicles came to Austin, and now autonomous vehicles are here. Tesla and Waymo are in the testing stage, but Cruise, a division of General Motors, has opened its vehicles to the public, and Austin Next is ready. Today, we meet Michael Staples. Michael is the general manager for Cruise here in Austin. He joined Cruise in January this year after being part of Peter Rex's PropTech Incubator. Michael's a West Point grad who spent eight years in the Army after graduation. Thank you. Appreciate it and was an operations leader and helicopter pilot. After separating from the Army in 2015, he joined Uber, where he worked on opening new markets. If I had to describe Michael's career overall, opening new markets is his focus. So that's where we start our conversation. Well, Mike, welcome to Austin Next. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Michael. This is your second Austin startup. So tell me what brought you here to Austin and what do you think about this great place?
0: Awesome. Michael, again, thank you to you and Jason for having me on. So I actually have a history with Austin. I was married here. uh, My wife and I got married back in 2013. So 2013, about 10 years ago now. We knew we would inevitably end up in Austin, but at the time we were in the military, we were between locations and Austin was a great central location, especially because Fort Hood's right up the road. So that's the backstory. Um, Fast forward, we were, the pandemic accelerated our move out to Austin. We knew we wanted to be in location that was closer to family, but we also wanted some place that had that great combination of personal meets professional. So Austin very clearly has that, right? we have an amazing cultural scene, we have uh, activities for all ages and all branches of life, if you will. We have a young family, so having opportunities for kids is very important for us. Austin definitely has that. And then from a professional perspective, I think it's pretty clear that not only are businesses flocking down to Austin, but there's just an abundance of professional opportunities, of jobs, of uh, startups, whatever it is that you're interested in, all exists down here. So for those reasons, it made it pretty simple when we decided to move out of the Northeast, it made it pretty simple
1: what choice we were going to make. Now, Cruise has started in a couple of cities. You're in the Bay Area, you're in Phoenix, I think, as well as Austin. Any other cities that you guys have started in?
0: Yeah, so... You mentioned kind of the the biggest ones. We will be launching in some newer cities later in the year. Um, I think we're still waiting on the discussion of those to kind of come out, but I think we're focused predominantly in the Southern United States.
1: Tell me why, Austin. What were the advantages of coming here?
0: Right. So I mentioned it earlier for the personal reasons, but I think if you think about it from a business perspective, it starts with the fact that Austin is open to innovation, right? We're supported by a very, very strong business community and local government. Businesses, as you know, are flocking to Texas. They have been for a series of years. If you look at Texas's growth over the last decade, you see we've been outpacing the rest of the U.S. pretty significantly. With those businesses, I I think that they're coming over mostly for very strong, uh, there's a lot of strong economic incentives for businesses. And with those businesses in the community comes also strong talent, right? So we're getting a lot of good talent, which is continuing to flow into Austin for the same reasons that I came into Austin just a few years ago. Uh, For Cruz specifically, Austin's a really unique city, and it's attractive for the same reasons that businesses are attractive. But also, it's attractive for the fact that there's a dense urban environment downtown, right? So, downtown environment offers a great location for our generalizable tech, which has been tested in SF to be utilized downtown, right? SF's a super complex environment, and we've taken those learnings from SF and now are applying them to what we're doing in Austin. So, for all those reasons, Austin's very attractive for operations.
2: So. We're talking about deploying here in Austin, but let's, let's go up a level, right? Let's talk about Cruise itself. Give me the origins of the company. What is Cruise and, and what are the origin stories there?
0: Right. So Cruise started over a decade ago, right Right around a decade ago, right? 2013 is when Kyle Voigt got it uh, ramped up. And when Cruise initially started, it was more of a hardware and software company, something that would go on top of vehicles to make them autonomous. That vision kind of changed over the course of the next year or two when they moved into autonomous vehicles. Fast forward a couple of years, we get acquired by GM. GM, a very strategic partner, coming with their own history, right, with the uh, the issues back in 2008 and whatnot. But GM takes over, buys us. Fast forward a few more years, you have investments from SoftBank, from Microsoft, from Honda, uh, you name it. And Cruz's vision of creating this this fully autonomous driving vehicles continues to grow and grow. In about 2021 is the first time we start launching driverless operations out on the road in San Francisco. And between 2021 and now, we have over 1 million driverless miles. We've now launched in a couple other cities, both Phoenix, as you mentioned earlier, and now in Austin. Austin uh, launched in very end of last year, December of last year. And now in Austin, you know, we are looking to just expand our service across to every Austinite we can. Of course, we're starting in a very small, limited area during limited times. We're going to let safety be the guiding role, that the guiding component that helps us expand. But that's where we are right now and kind of starting from the origin out to where we are today.
2: So what kind of, is it a standard vehicle? Is it, you you talked about being started with the software on top and then when it was acquired by GM, so is there a standard cruise vehicle? Is it able to go on all sorts of different types of vehicles? They custom built, how's that kind of working?
0: Yeah, so right now, cruise vehicles are a Chevy Bolt that's been modified for cruise operations, but the base product is like a Chevy Bolt, right? Clearly, there's a whole bunch of sensors on there, there's this incredible computing system in the back that allows it to process all the information that it's taking in, but it's based off of that platform right now. If you're a rider, you can expect uh, as part of your service to unlock the doors using your app, you would open up the doors, you jump in the back seat of these three seats uh, within the Chevy Bolt, You go ahead and activate the ride with your app and then take off uh, driving around town that way. If you talk about the Origin, the Origin is a completely different platform, right? And it's unlike anything that we've ever seen before. So it's a different sort of ride because the Origin wasn't designed to be driven, right? It was designed to be ridden. And that's a really cool uh, component of this. The Origin, if if you haven't seen them, it's roughly the size of a very, very large SUV, albeit the interior space is used very differently because, again, it was designed to be driven. There's no steering wheel. There's no pedals. So what happens is you open up these doors that kind of open up futuristically from the side. You hop in. There's two benches that face each other. You'll be surprised the amount of space you have. So you sit in on those benches. You stretch your legs out. I'm a pretty short guy, so for me, it's not that big of a deal. But I can't tell how tall of you are on the podcast. but. Assuming you're not too tall, your legs won't even intersect, right? I mean, there's a large amount of space. It's nothing you get in an airline. It's nothing you get on a train or a bus. It is, it's big. And as part of being big and spacious, it feels luxurious, right? And it completely, because of the, the way it's designed, again, with a, with a rider in mind, is it feels nice. It has little amenities, plugs, cup holders. The fact that you can face each other and have these conversations, it's quiet, right? You find yourself kind of immersing yourself.
2: What you're describing reminds me of kind of some of the images that I, I remember seeing on like the, I was a big fan of Westworld and like the, the future vision of those autonomous cars. So so then asking the question, why the switch to the Bolt? Why not lean in and stay with, with the origin?
0: So they, we actually started with the Bolt. We started with the Bolt. The origin is what we're moving to. Yep, so we have bolts in town. You'll continue to see a number of bolts in town for the for the foreseeable future, but we'll be slowly ramping up the origins as well.
2: Right. Okay, because as you said, like we don't need if it's not a car and I'm not driving it, then we're not necessarily held to the same dimensions and standards in that case, right? We can have different different modes, different use cases, different needs, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think that's probably one of the coolest things that the Origin is going to bring is because of the way it's been designed, there's now so much more usable space that you have within the Origin, right? So this space, it can be filled with what we have as a dedicated cargo unit. So not only will it be used for ride hail, but also for delivery operations. On top of that, there's also going to be some different augmentations. Think about we have wave access vehicles today, wheelchair accessible vehicles today. That typically involves some kind of a lift and a bunch of other operations that make those vehicles accessible. For the Origin, it's been designed in partnerships with uh, disability-led organizations and incorporating people with disabilities in user testing. So on one of them, for an example, there's a ramp that comes out. And if you're a user that uses a wheelchair, you can go right up the ramp, you can lock yourself in, and you can go ahead and go on a ride. And this is just going to be a game changer for accessibility. In this case, I mean, accessibility perspective for folks that may need a wheelchair or whatever the case might be. Before, again, you would have to call a special service that would come and pick you up they might need their help to get you into the vehicle to take your wheelchair out maybe to load it on the outside or if there's room inside get you loaded hooked up everything this is something that could be done by yourself again an autonomous vehicle you can take care of yourself you're not relying on anybody to help you out so we're really hoping this is going to unlock services to uh, to those folks that need it
2: yeah i want to pull on that kind of that unlock for a moment because when we think about the Transformation of technology, the, the first step is the obvious just replacement. Like right? the okay, the car go to the autonomous car, it's the same thing I could do before, except for its drivers. right? And then you go to that next step of saying, okay, what could it do differently? Right. So the web page was, okay, Facebook was I could do a static web page or I could do a static news uh paper article article before, but then the scroll news feed was something that I couldn't do before and I could do online, right? So how do you see autonomous vehicles in the transportation space changing up what we actually couldn't do before? How is that gonna actually change the dynamics of transportation in the city?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for us, Specifically, it's gonna start with right now again, we're very limited operations. So for us, it's gonna be expanding both in time and location. But if you think about what we're gonna be replacing more holistically, meaning like comparing ourselves against cars and other forms of transportation today, we at the end of the day, we are a vehicle on the road, right? So we'll be providing the same types of services you can today in your own vehicle or a ride share or a taxi, wherever the case might be, right? And but I think what we're gonna be doing do is we're gonna be changing and transforming the way transportation is viewed, right? I love driving a car. I actually, I'm a, I'm a, it was in the military prior as a Black Hawk pilot by trade. So I love vehicles, right? I've always loved machinery, love vehicles, love driving my car, but I'll tell you what, I hate traffic. I really despise traffic. And unfortunately Austin has a lot of it. Luckily we have more of like a a multi-hub city. So we're starting to see it spread out a little bit, which is great, but I really don't like traffic. So in the morning I'm trying to do things. It actually gives me an opportunity to listen to some great podcasts like yourself. But you know, when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to work through you know, traffic, dealing with drivers that are having issues, yelling outdoors, whatever the case might be, right? I would love to not deal with that. And if I can, instead of taking that time, focus on uh, not getting into an accident, take that time to sit in a very comfortable vehicle and work a little bit, read a book, watch a movie, talk to friends, whatever the case might be, that would be amazing. So turning transportation from a burden to just another space to live life is a pretty remarkable you know, future. And I think that that's what autonomous driving unlocks, not to mention, and probably the most important part of it, which is the safety. I have two little girls. I constantly think about what can I do to keep them safer? And then when we look at the stats, right, vehicular deaths being the 11th leading cause of death in the United States, 40,000 folks die a year due to car wrecks. I think it's, it becomes pretty clear that if there's something that we can be doing about that, we should be doing it. And autonomous vehicles, I think, are way of the future for this. We just released this really cool safety study that goes into all the numbers. I'll spare the details, uh, recommend uh, that anyone reads it, but it's really incredible. And, and it shows statistically that we are driving a lot safer than the average human. And I, I don't mean that to you know poke fun at everyone here. I'm sure everyone on this call is a great driver. I claim to be a great driver myself, but I will also admit that I get you know distracted right? Whether it's a phone call or an email or whatever the case might be. We're so connected all the time. We have our phones. They're so available. It's nice to know that there's a safer path
2: forward. So when we think about these kind of innovative start, uh, these innovative technologies and startups, we tend to think of, uh, I just used it, I, we think of startups, we think of growth companies. Cruise came into GM, not one of the you know large, I think it's over 100 years old now, It's not necessarily the image or the reputation that it has, and of course, maybe why they're kind of moving into this space and why they kind of made that acquisition. How has it been now, obviously you're not a long time with with it, with company, but how's it been being part of that kind of company? How are you seeing them deploy this kind of technology moving, trying to be on the cutting edge?
0: Yeah. So I think there are us partnering with GM is, is hugely beneficial to both parties. I think there's a lot of mutual benefits. For GM, again, incredible company, super long history, and a company that's also been evolving, especially over the last 15 years or so, the company's done a lot of evolving. So with that, there's a very, very tight integration that allows us to iterate on our purpose-built technology, right? So with this partnership, is a very, very unique partnership, especially within the self-driving space, right? Not only do we have the uh, the technology, the software, but we have this company that we partner with that can help us build and scale this fleet, right? It's an amazing setup for us. So being a subsidiary at GM is very, very beneficial because they're gonna be the reason why we can scale successfully over the coming years. And and it's really not just a partnership, right? There is a real vested interest from the company. I think if you were at the, uh, the South by Southwest conversation between Mary Barra and, and Kyle not too long ago, you can feel the connection there, right? There's a very, very tight connection between those CEOs. And we're very, very thankful to have that partnership with General Motors. Mary's also the uh, chairman of our board. So again, just shows that her, her dedication in, into the company and into Cruise's mission.
1: I wanna ask you a question about that because there's a lot of stuff that goes on with regard to EVs in general. I mean, I rented my first one a couple of weeks back, great car, the infrastructure was crap. You know, I mean, getting it charged was just horrific. I was in a college town and I found on the app like 10 different charge points. Six of them had been physically damaged and were out of commission. Two of them were just off network. So by moving to autonomous vehicles, you're taking the rest of the infrastructure out of the hands of the rider And you're absorbing and assuming that responsibility. How are you guys set up to handle the infrastructure so that your cars are charged, your cars are clean? You know, when I go and I call for one of your vehicles, I know it's going to be there and I'm going to be able to get in and get to where I need to go. Michael, that's a a
0: great, like, crop question in terms of how we operate today, right? And we have, I think it starts with the fact that we have this really incredible cross-functional team. Again, I'm relatively new to the company. I've been here for about five months now, but really just kind of blown away by how amazing our team is. You've assembled some of the, the brightest minds in the country and from across the world to come in and help us on this incredible mission. But it, so it starts with this amazing team, right? This team is coming up with all sorts of of various entrepreneurial, new, out of the box ideas to solve this, what is a very complex problem. And something that I learned very early on in the role is just how complex it is to operate autonomous vehicles. Every single day is another new issue that pops up. And these are things that we're kind of slowly, slowly burning down all these different issues. To get to answering your question, so we have to leverage a lot of resources to make our market operate on a daily basis, right? Again, it starts with the people. We have a lot of good people. We employ probably over 100 people in Austin at this point in time that are helping us out with operations and also helping crews out corporately. From a charging perspective, right? One of the things we dive into is charging, right? There's public charging infrastructure. That public charging infrastructure is actually it's it's getting larger in Austin. There's been a, a lot of people we've connected with over the course of the last couple of months, whether it's Austin Energy, Austin Chamber of Commerce, people that are also vested into seeing the success of Cruise and other companies in the area. So being able to partner with those groups is very helpful. But getting back to charging, we use public chargers, right? We also use external parties that help us with charging as well. And now we're working on building our own uh, charging infrastructure, right? So that is, is, Multifaceted. It involves internal partners, external partners. It involves a lot of projections. It costs a lot of money. Like these are all things that we're investing in in the long term to make sure the crew is successful. And charging just one of it, we have to think about parking. We have to think about how we service the vehicles. Right? These vehicles need to be serviced just like any normal vehicle would. Like like your or my vehicle need to get serviced. Um, and then we talk about all the technical technological pieces as well. Right? These vehicles need to connect to. The cloud. They need to be able to, you know, pull in a bunch of data. They need to be able to learn and talk to each other and do all sorts of stuff. So these are all things that we're working on, and our team is working on on every one of these issues that are ultimately create this very complex operation.
2: So I want to bring it down to Austin for a moment. We talked a little bit earlier about, you know, why you guys chose Austin. A little bit had to do with like the regulations, and we talk about like Phoenix. I know is really kind of open, and you guys are there. I want to. Be a little more specific for a little bit, we had on a couple of members from the Innovation Caucus in the Texas legislature. So and the challenge that they face with trying to both create policy when technology isn't fully fleshed out, we don't really know whether it be blockchain, autonomous vehicles, you know, flying cars, whatever they may be. We're, we're trying to create a structure that you can, you can play in and learn at the same time, it not being the complete Wild West. So Cruz came here because it seemed to be some sort of framework that you that you wanted to be able to play in. So how would you describe the kind of the autonomous vehicle regulations here? What is what is the framework that you're able to play?
0: Sure. So I can't speak specifically to all the regulations. We have a great team that could speak to you more directly about those exact uh, those exact regulations and how they play into that. Maybe even Elizabeth can answer some of them there. But I would definitely say that the whole state of Texas is super supportive of innovative companies, right? Just like Cruz. And that's been something that's that's very beneficial to us. I think I think everyone, both personally, professionally, companies, right, but states specifically, are very vested in making sure that their constituents stay safe, right? Transportation is is a big part of keeping people safe, right? That's probably one of the we talked about uh, the stats behind safety and transportation already, but very clearly there's a vested interest in making sure that our uh, our cities are staying safe. So that's one big reason why they're excited about bringing Cruise in. I think everyone understands road fatalities. They understand the 11th leading cause of death. They understand these injuries are unacceptable and they wanna partner with companies like Cruise because we're gonna change
2: that for the future. All right, so then let's talk about you know what you're doing today, right? So you have a really, at least from my perspective, really interesting schedule. You, uh, your vehicle is only available from 9 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. Let's we'll start off with then, what role do you see the service playing? I mean, when I, when I hear that, I think, okay, so is it just late night entertainment? You know, go f- to and from the bars and restaurants, back and forth to people's home. Is that, is that the target or am I missing something? Or is there other reason for that timing?
0: No, I, I, think, I think you're right here, Jason. So initially, the timing's actually started more, It's we lead with safety right? So when we initially start at night, there's not that many people out on the roads at night. So it gives us a, a cleaner canvas, if you will, to get out there, operate the vehicles and start accruing just a ton, of, a ton of data on the road, making sure our vehicles are operating as safely as they can, right? So nighttime operations is typically when we start. And then eventually, as we slowly get the, the safety case more and more, we expand both in time
2: and in space, right? Mike, I want to pause for a second because that seems counterintuitive, but maybe this wouldn't nighttime be less safe due to it being dark and things are harder to see? But or am I or am I missing something?
0: No, it's a great question. So let me first start with the fact that we've been operating in SF for a very very long time, right? In SF, if we talk about you know difficult cities to operate in, SF is probably like the most difficult city to operate in. Incredibly dense urban environment with a varying, varying degree of road hazards, right? Not only, uh, people, right? We have a very populous city. So there's a lot of people all over the place, but also you have a lot of weather, right? You have fog, you have rain, you have steep hills, narrow roads, you have all sorts of stuff. So using SF as our base, like we have all this data, we've done it in SF. We've conquered what is probably the most difficult city to drive in. Now we're just picking up a lot of that information, and plopping it right down in Austin, right? Austin, Austinites probably don't want to compare themselves too much to, uh, you know, Californians and San Franciscans, but the, uh, not that they're bad people, they're amazing people. But I think what you do have is still a dense urban environment in downtown Austin, right? With a lot of people running around, whether you're on sixth street or downtown to answer your separate question. So what's different than vehicles. And one of the reasons why our vehicles are a little bit safer than humans is doesn't matter whether it's night or day, right? Our sensors are gonna operate the same. We got, you know, we have a bunch of cameras and radar and all these other sensors that can tell everything that's happening in in the space around the vehicle. Think about when you nose up to the edge of a road before you're about to cross it. When you or I drive a vehicle, we gotta nose all the way up there and then we gotta lean forward in our vehicle and hope that we can, you know, see right around the corner. Well, our sensor's on the front of the vehicle, some of them, and it could see around the corner well before you or I could see in front of the corner. So in terms of uh, having that technology, leveraging that technology to create a safer ride is something that, that we do that, that makes it easy for us and gives us a safety case uh, to be out here downtown.
2: Okay. So then we're starting off at night and you said is, is the use case is the, so it's safer because there's less people in those. And then is the use case then the... Entertainment district and moving people kind of around—is that what you kind of expect? Uh, obviously, with the nighttime jobs and what? How do you see people using crews in kind of that window to start with?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think nightlife is is clearly like the natural use case for us. And again, whether that's Sixth Street, Rainy Street, downtown, West Sixth, going over to the East Side, eventually SoCo, eventually up north, out Domain and whatnot, the uh, nightlife is is a very easy use case for us. And I think you see that as. Also the basic use case for RideHail when RideHail first launched too, right? It's just the densest time when people don't want to drive. They're drinking, they'd rather take a car that can get them from point A to B instead of driving drunk, making some unsafe decisions. So in addition to that, we've seen some really incredible uh, success with our partnerships with the University of San Francisco um, because students are a cohort of people that you know want to be out and about at night. Also young professionals, right? Another item in this, so we have service workers and night shift workers uh, that like to use our service as well, right? So usually those people that are working at the at those places that are open late at night. Um, one example that we have here is in, in SF, we have a partnership with SF New Deal and that offers free rides to hospitality and service workers at night. So another really cool use case. We have people that are going out and enjoying, uh, you know, what's going on at night or the people that are servicing the people that are enjoying what's going on at night. And yeah, of course, there are unique challenges with operating at night, right? There's low visibility. And if you think about it from a human perspective, Humans drink, humans can't see as well as night. Veh- you know, driverless vehicles don't drink and they see very well at night, thanks to the technology. So as we mentioned, this, the hours are now very limited at night. We really are excited about re- expanding those hours. We love to, instead of just capturing people at night, we love to capture commuters, right? People coming to and from work, people coming to and from school, people that are just going shopping. It'd be nice to cha- transition again, the, how people think about vehicles. If we can get the price point of an autonomous vehicle down to you know, below what the IRS reimbursement, is, uh, reimbursement rate is for vehicles, then we can really change how people consider a vehicle, Would they even consider buying their own vehicle if they can pay 50 cents a mile to go and get driven somewhere else. I, it's hard for me to, to believe that as someone that loves cars, but I'll tell you, if, that's, if I can make that decision right now for my daughters, say, you know, you're never gonna drive, I'm just gonna put you this vehicle that'll take care of it for you, that'd be pretty
2: incredible we talked a little bit earlier about kind of upkeep from a you know the technical side the charging the upkeep i'm thinking it was from a a, a pure especially we're talking about like the nightlife a pure cleanliness issue when you have a, a an uber or a taxi lift, there's somebody in there and they know if there's an issue they can see it and clean it up if in the in the autonomous there's no one in there so they don't necessarily know if there's we'll just say a mess we'll use it we we'll use it be that broad how do you deal in that situation because obviously if the autonomous vehicle just comes up and like, I don't wanna get into that because there's a problem. How do you, you deal with that use case? Right, that's a
0: great question. So uh, the, the quick answer here is before and after any shift, we are always checking the vehicles, right? We have a very strict checklist, all different things that we're gonna be going over to make sure those vehicles are, are safe, to make sure they're clean, to make sure that we are gonna offer our customers an excellent customer experience. So we do all those before and after shift every single day. In addition, there are feedback mechanisms that are available to riders. So if a customer were to order a vehicle and that vehicle, someone opens up the door and someone threw up in the vehicle or something like that, they can go and report that. We'll go ahead and take care of that right away. In addition, we do have a support team that sometimes is able to, tr- to track those issues before a customer could even track them. And in that case, our team will very quickly notify the local operations team and we'll go ahead and get that
2: cleaned up. One other question I had, one interesting thing, is, as you see, expanding your area coverage an interesting question uh, or challenge that i end up having is i don't live in the downtown core I, i live in austin but i live kind of outside of it right and so if like my wife and i want to go downtown we'll hail like an uber and it's really really hard to get an uber to come out to us it's easy to get from downtown out but getting one to come out to us can either take forever or we lose or they never do come and that's obviously an individual's choice. You're like, ah, is it worth me kind of going out there or those kinds of things? Do you see, you know, autonomous vehicles solving that equation? Because obviously it just becomes a price issue. You just say like, if you want us to come out to you, be it's this much money. And if you're willing to pay it, uh, is that how the, the dynamics is going to change? Or is it still going to be impossible? Assuming you cover the area that I live in, is it still going to be that same issue?
0: Yes, that's a really good question, Jason. And I think I, I deal with the same issues, right? When I want to go downtown and I need to ride, I'm waiting for, you know, 15, 20 minutes for somebody to show up. So I, I'm very keenly aware of the of the issue that you're having. We live on the West side, so we're not an easy drive. We're about, you know, 20, 25 minutes from downtown. Over time, we want to solve this issue, right? And it's going to be solved with volume. So just like it does with, with typical ride hail, it's the volume of vehicles that really matter. And we are clearly started downtown. You or I, unfortunately, couldn't get, a cruise from where we live right now. But in the future, as we slowly start expanding, and you're going to see us expand in the course of the next few months, we will start slowly picking up more and more and more area. And eventually, because I would like to be able to request the service right from my own home as well, eventually we'll be able to solve that issue where we can go all the way out there, right? The map will be large enough, the area will be large enough, and we'll have the volume to support the customers that are in that area as well. So that's long-term. We have a little ways to go to get there from where we are right now in a, in a smaller downtown area, but we have a path forward to get there. And I'm, I'm very excited and bullish for the opportunity to be able to serve not only Austinites that are just downtown, but Austinites that live within the entire you know, Austin metro.
1: Well, Mike, we talked about why Cruise picked Austin as one of its test locations. We talked about how you came out here. Tell me how Cruise is a company fits into the Austin innovation ecosystem in general. Do you guys interact with other companies around here? How does that work? Yeah, so first of all, I think, yeah, there's been a couple
0: recently. You've seen crews start to dive into the innovation scene a little bit, right? We've only been on the ground for six six months or so. So we have been here a relatively short amount of time. But Kyle was out with Mary during South by Southwest. We were out at UT doing some marketing efforts uh, just the last few weeks, uh, running around, which is a ton of fun uh, with our marketing and growth teams. We recently took part in the local Pecan Street Festival, just uh, just downtown. So you're starting to see a little bit more crews running around. As I mentioned, we've also been working very closely with Austin Chamber of Commerce, Austin Energy, really trying to get out, meet people, start conversations, build relationships with the local communities. Um, and we, we work very, very hard to try to uh, you know build these conversations with local communities. When I think more generally about kind of why Cruise fits within the general innovation scene, I think back to my own experience. I spent a few years at Uber back in the day and I think I compare where Cruise is now to where ride hail companies companies were 10 years ago. And by that, I mean like, you know, when you look at Uber and Lyft, other companies that are now giants, they didn't start that way, right? And when they first started, when I was launching cities for, you know, Uber back in the day, I remember jumping in and, and talking with both riders and drivers who were incredibly skeptical about the experience they were going to have, right? They couldn't fathom this idea of getting into a stranger's car, although you do it with a taxi cab driver when you go to New York City. You couldn't fathom getting into Joe next door's car because something about that felt weird. Fast forward 10 years and you can't think of another way to get around town, right? Uber and Lyft are so commonplace. We've, it's become ride hails become a commodity. Anyone can go out and get it. In fact, you might open multiple apps and say, which one's cheaper, which one's faster? How am I going to get around town? I think we're in a very similar place to where ride Hill was 10 years ago, where we're cruises now, right? We have skeptics, people that say, my friends included people I know that say, well, I'm not going to get into a, a robot car, right? It takes people to go and experience this. It takes people to take that first ride and say, Wow, that was really smooth. I, I can tell you about my own first ride. I was so excited to go. I hadn't joined the company yet. I was so excited to go and take my first ride. I jump in the vehicle and the uh, and the car starts driving. I see the, the wheel turning and I see, and it's just, it's weird. It's strange. It's like you're in a futuristic movie, right? And what was funny is I was, I was riding with one of my teammates and we were having a conversation and halfway through the conversation, he goes, hey, so did you even remember that we're in a self-driving vehicle? And I thought about it for a second. And I had completely, the ride was so smooth, I had completely forgotten that I was even in a driverless vehicle. Like, it wasn't that the, the novelty wasn't still there. I was so excited about it, but it felt so normal. It felt safe. It felt smooth. It wasn't jerky. It was, it got me there in a safe manner, and I completely forgot about it. I think that was so weird to be so excited about it and then basically forget about the experience at all because it was so normal. Um, So I hope that over time, you know, more and more people are going to go through this. I think more and more safety studies are going to come out, like the the Million Mile uh, report that we put out recently, that that not only show but prove that we are safer statistically than uh you know other traditional modes of human-driven transportation. So very, very, very excited about that. And that's exactly the reason why we fit within the Austin innovation scene, because we're the future of transportation. Inevitably, we're gonna win over the skeptics because we're safer, we're more accessible, we'll be more economical, um, and we're gonna give so much back to people and their cities, right? Think about giving back space, right? Giving back parking lots, um, giving back time that people don't have right now. So for all those reasons, um, I think that we are, uh, we definitely fit within the tech scene down here.
1: Mike Staples, Austin general manager for Get Cruise from GM. Thank you so much for being on the Austin Next Show. We always ask one last question and that's simply what's next? What's next for Cruise and what do you think is next for Austin?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we are currently testing our first Origin in Austin. Origin again is the newer platform, no steering wheel, no pedals. It's a brand new brand new vehicle, very very exciting. We expect expect to launch the Origin experience to the public later this year. So that's what's next for Cruise. We're very very excited about that. In addition, we're in town. We're excited to service some customers, and you're going to see a lot of our our bolts running around. We definitely encourage you to come and take a ride and check out what it means to be in an autonomous vehicle and see that experience. Of course, we're we are gonna be expanding the market as well. As I mentioned earlier, we are guided by safety when we do that expansion, where we're gonna expand both in time and space. And I hope, that, as you asked about earlier, uh, we'll be able to slowly service more Austinites. So eventually, Jason and I can get rides from our homes across town.
1: You got it. Thanks so much for being on the Austin Next Podcast.
2: Thank you very much. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening, and see you soon.